Step right up, step right up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Gaze on and steel yourselves against the startling sights to come. Welcome to the lucky 13th episode of The Narrow Century, a podcast of irregular tales and the greatest show on earth. I warn all audience members that if you have a heart condition, it is imperative that you leave the tent immediately. No latecomers will be seated. No refunds will be issued. No precautions will be taken. No quarter will be given. No amount of money or time or love will be able to restore what you have lost, and no amount of tears can bring them back. Emergency exits are located under the glowing green signs. Please enjoy the show. We are constantly surrounded by dangers. We are assailed on all sides by invisible threats. And only the most cunning, the most canny, the most sharp can see them for what they are. Sometimes even I don't see them coming until it's almost too late. But I haven't missed one yet. And I've got the grit to do whatever it takes to survive. Once, I stayed at a bus stop all night, because the last driver looked like he was so tired he'd fall asleep at the wheel, and the bus might go off a bridge, and I might not be able to find a way out before I drowned. It was January, and I almost got frostbite. But I toughed it out, because that's what it takes to survive, damn it. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. You're probably one of them. The blind, deaf, dumb, and stupid majority that staggers through life like a line of baby ducklings completely oblivious to the perils that snap at your heels. You would never have seen this coming. You would never have seen the signs. I am not you, though. That is why I am still alive. For the moment... I'm cleaning out a storage unit. Gary invited me along, and I couldn't think of a reason to say no. He had won it at auction. One of those game show kind of things, where instead of haggling over what you actually want, instead you take a chance on a big box full of mystery. Gary likes to take chances. Gary is a moron. But Gary is my friend. And he asked if I was free today to come and help him load his winnings onto the back of a moving truck to take back to his place so we could go through the stuff and appraise it. We're about halfway done, and he pulls himself free from the piles of magazine back issues and 70s-era Christmas decorations, and he says, Hey, buddy, it's about lunch. How's about I go grab a pizza and you just keep on keeping on, huh? Like I said, Gary is a moron. I just shrug, and he smiles, and he gets on the moving truck and drives away. It's sweltering. It's mid-August, and I keep careful track of how thirsty I am. Dehydration is a terrible way to die, and it sneaks up on most people who fall prey to it, like a wrinkly, hateful little goblin. I take a long drink from my canteen and check my heart rate. It's fine. I've got my eye on things. I have things under control. Then, I pull down a cardboard box full of board games, and I stop. 
There's a shelf at the back of the storage unit, an antique wooden shelf with complex scroll work on the corners that look like leaves and clusters of fruit, maybe grapes, maybe olives, I don't know, it's all just wood. The shelf is mostly empty, but I can't tear my eyes away from what's sitting on it. It's a ventriloquist dummy. It's bigger than I would have thought, maybe two and a half feet tall. Its body is a shapeless mass of flannel and felt with crudely carved hands and feet jutting awkwardly from the plain tailcoat and gray breeches, but the head sits perfectly upright. Its eyes stare right into mine. I go still. I'm suddenly fascinated by this thing. Its eyes don't look like wood. They look like glass set deep into the meticulously carved skull of the dummy. Inside those eyes, where the dimly occluded sunlight filters into the back of the storage unit, I can see the slight suggestion of interior shapes cast in a different color of glass. Bright red, jaundiced yellow, colors of fire and rot. I can't bring myself to tear my gaze away from these eyes. There's something beautiful and terrible about the work of the carpenter that I can feel my heartbeat quicken the longer I look into them. Below, a subtle curvature of the wood gives the impression of a suppressed laugh, while the high, arched, pitch-black brows above foretell a secret he's dying to share. Deep crow's feet score the corners of those eyes, and the more I look, the older the diminutive figure seems to me. A teenager at first, but then a pentagenarian, a septagenarian, a centenarian, and older and older still. Where the carved wrinkles go no further, the faint suggestion of paint tells of further years. And where pigmentation stops, the deep darkness in his eyes goes further still. An ancient and primordial homunculus, crouched on the shelf for untold aeons, waiting for... For me. I am about to tear my gaze from the dummy, about to carry the box of board games back towards the mouth of the storage unit, when a tingling along the back of my neck halts me in my tracks. It was waiting for me. From the moment I had laid eyes on it, its gaze had met mine. Of all the directions the happenstance of its position might have turned its eyes, it had focused its terrible sight directly into my own face. Some people I know, Gary, for example, use a word that I detest. Coincidence. There is no such thing. In three-dimensional space, there are over 129,000 directions the dummy might have been looking. Yet here it is, with a direct and unbroken line from the center of its expertly carved skull, through the centers of its eyes, through the center of my eyes, and into the center of my head. It's preposterous to think that someone could have planted the dummy in such a way. A child's understanding of chaos theory tells us that even subtle variations in ambient temperature could have altered my position relative to the dummy's gaze. No. No, 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 no. The only logical conclusion, the only possible conclusion when one eliminates the impossible, is that the dummy had turned itself to meet my gaze. It wants something. It's watching me.
with those dark, deep, ageless little eyes, with its head set so perfectly on top of that tangle of limbs which might, or might not, ultimately resolve itself into a human shape. Well, it has my attention now. I am on to it. Ever so carefully, without for an instant breaking my eye contact with the wooden hobgoblin, I lower the box I had picked up and drop it back onto the pile of congealed detritus. There. Now I have both hands free. Should the worst occur. On reflection, those eyebrows seem less innocuous than I first thought. As with the age of the creature, the quality of his expression seemed to change and develop the longer I look at it. As with the age of the creature, the quality of its expression seems to change and develop the longer I look at it, though I'm sure it hasn't yet moved a millimeter. With those bulging cheeks and arching brows, it seems to be saying, Come on, I dare you. Make my day. Ha. It's a challenge, then. This is not the face of a creature that is curious or playful or docile. Though it was perhaps only luck that let me catch it, this is the face of a being that wants a contest. Of what? What is it testing? Of course, there can be only one answer. For in the end, when you burn away all the hemming and hawing, there is only one kind of contest. A contest of wills. Well, if that's what the little golem wants, that's what it's going to get. Though I think it's going to find me a harder nut to crack than it was expecting. The stakes, doubtless, are the same as ever. Life or death. I have to admit, though, the thought sends a slight tremor down my spine. However great my previous challenges, they were against human beings. Or, at least, they were within the province of humans. The longer I stare into these eyes, the more certain I am that no human hand could have crafted them. What is this, then? A monster? A demon? A changeling creature? I can't begin to speculate. Speculation is the road to terror, and terror is the way to death. It hasn't moved yet. It's perfectly poised. There's more than just challenge in its eyes. I can see that now. Hunger. A car door slams behind me, and for the skin of an instant I'm nearly distracted. Not quite, though. Not me. I'm too cunning, too focused to let anything tear my gaze from danger. When did I last take some water? Hey, bro, calls a voice. Gary's. Right, Gary's here. Got pizza. Found something back there? I don't reply. I don't have time to deal with his idiocy. Bro? You okay? I hear his footsteps coming closer, picking their way through the embankment of detritus. For the love of God, Gary, I call. Damn it. I hadn't meant for my voice to crack that way. Don't come any closer. Stay back. He stops moving. Good. Good. I can focus. I can keep my eyes on the real challenge. I can see it more clearly. The hinged jaw, 
the bared teeth, the coiled position like a snake about to strike. The walls of this arena are growing ever clearer to me. God, my eyes are dry. Gary clears his throat. Uh, buddy? Having some trouble? Damn it, damn it, damn it. Gary, I hiss through gritted teeth. This really isn't the time to discuss this. If you'll just give me a minute... I can hear him moving. What's he doing? Is he sneaking up on me? Could he be in league with this otherworldly beast? It is technically his property now. No. No, he couldn't possibly be so cunning, the rube. Oh, look at that, Gary says. And I can practically see the slackness in his jaw, the dullness in his eye. It's like, uh, it's a puppet or something. Weird. Not a Puppet, Gary, I snap. A ventriloquist, dummy, Gary. He's mercifully silent for a moment. The dummy's eyes are full of mirth. Even if it isn't working with Gary, it's plain to see that it's benefiting from him. He asks, It's a kind of puppet, right? Doesn't make a difference? Of course it makes a difference, Gary, I say, perfectly calm. Whoa, whoa, no need to shout, man. I'm just asking, he says. How dare he take that accusatory tone with me? I was just here doing him a favor, and for my selfless generosity, I've gotten stuck in this fiendish ambush. Stop your droning idiocy, Gary, I request. I'm fighting for my life here, and if you don't shut your feckless trap, I'm going to get my throat ripped out by this ghoulish mannequin. He falls silent again. Finally. How long have I been standing here? Can you get permanent eye damage from a staring contest? The whole upper half of my face feels as if it's on fire. I have to contort my every muscle against instinct. Instinct is the real foe here. Will versus instinct. And for the first time, I'm beginning to wonder if I am quite up to the challenge. The dummy stares back at me, implacable as ever. Subtle contours of its jaw suggest a tension there, sinews and muscles straining just beneath the surface. Buddy, Gary whimpers, hey, buddy, don't tell me you're having another one of these, I told you to shut your damn stupid hole, Gary, I say. It's a puppet, man, he whines, and the real instinct I have to fight is the urge to whirl around and hit him with a death glare. Ventriloquist, dummy, I say, my voice rising somewhat. I told you it's a ventriloquist, dummy. How many times do I have to say it before it gets driven through that thick skull of yours? It's a dummy, fine, fine. He's taking a conciliatory tone. Who does that sniveling little simpleton think he is trying to manipulate me? Let's agree it's a dummy, okay? I don't reply. I'm not even going to dignify such idiocy with a response. My eyes are shriveling up inside my head. They're contracting within their sockets into tiny ocular prunes. If only Gary could see them, he would take this all a little more seriously. He goes on, despite the clear message implicit in my silence. Bro, he says, you're having another one of your episodes. Come on, have you talked to Dr. Steve lately? Have you been taking your pills? Fury wills up inside of me, battering at the gates of panic that have held me frozen. 
I don't need that quack. What I need is some silence. I can practically feel the creature's wooden mandibles closing around my throat. I've spent the whole of the contest sputtering and fuming under the weight of the challenge, and my foe hasn't so much as twitched. Its expression is one of delighted amusement. Come on, buddy. Just turn and look at me, okay? Just for a second. The little dummy can't say no to that, right? It thinks it's already won. It looks smug, the little varnished bastard. Or does it look hungry? Or is it challenging? I can hardly tell anymore. I feel like you can hardly see anything. A rattling sound comes from behind me. Here, come on, I've got your pills here, huh? Those always relax you, don't they? You've been working too hard. It has me. One way or another, the beast has me. Either Gary's cajoling will fog my clarity of purpose, or this hunk of wood will outlast me. What instinct does a puppet have, anyway? How could I have been so foolish as to think I could... Wait. A flicker. Gary's voice comes from behind me. What in the hell? Millimeter by millimeter, micron by micron, I watch as lids fall over the dummy's eyes. Minuscule lids that could not even have been seen before they began to fall. My face is pouring sweat, and I watch without even twitching as the tiny lids slide completely over the glass orbs set into the monster's face. What? Gary sputters. How'd you do that? How'd you make it close its eyes? I don't speak. I don't even breathe for almost a full minute after it closes its eyes. How'd you do that, Gary demands. That's a pretty neat trick. Is this thing yours? He blunders forward, and I reach out to stop him, but he seizes up the dummy before I can touch his arm. Lifeless now. Just cotton and pine and paint. It flops around in his hands as he searches for the lever that controls the mouth. I shut my eyes and do not open them while I navigate the heap by touch back towards daylight. I feel oddly calm considering my ordeal. Gary, I say, I don't think I feel quite up to helping you finish this. Do you mind if I head home? Hmm? he says, looking up from the dummy. He's found the controls to open its eyes again, and I cannot help but stare into them. Sure, sure thing, buddy. Don't forget to take your pills, okay? The dummy's eyes are simple marbles now. White, with matte black circles, only surface deep. I give a pantomime of a grin, a terrible rictus that makes Gary grimace in return. Sure, I say. Absolutely. The Narrow Century, Episode 13, Jugular, was written and produced by Gordon Graham. Music was provided, with permission, by Petunia and the Vipers and Courtney Vandrela. 
For written material and further episodes, visit narrowcentury.com. The Narrow Century is recorded entirely on microphones hand-built by the fine technicians and craftspeople at Ear Trumpet Labs. Ear Trumpet Labs, microphones of distinction. ¶¶